This is a HeadGum Podcast. Welcome to the Jeff Rubin, Jeff Rubin Show. I am Jeff Rubin, and I am joined today on Skype and my phone by Melissa Arleth, an acrobat uh, who incorporates animals like rats and cats into her act, uh, which she calls Cirque de Sur. Melissa, welcome to the show. Oh, thank you for having me. How did I do uh, describing the act? Was that, is that how you would describe it? Uh, I usually just go with the acrobat with acro rats. I was wondering as I was writing it down if there was going to be like an acro rat pun or something like that. <laughs> okay. So, I know, it's a really obvious one. But that doesn't make it any worse. So this is something where um, people might want to pause and look up on YouTube um, exactly what the act is because I've never seen anything like it, so it's a little hard to describe. Um, but let's give it a shot mm-hmm. anyway. So, acrobat, I think we all know what that is, and some people have probably even seen an acrobat outside the context of a circus, maybe doing slack line type stuff, or on a rope, or on a trapeze. <laughs> um, but rats, how, how do rats, how are they incorporated into the act? Well, I, I do a couple of numbers where it's just the rat, like I have uh, an obstacle course with the rats, or I have a fire rattling through fire. Then when I walk my slack rope, I have a rat that's trained to jump up on my leg and run up to my shoulder. And then I have a little platform with the ladder and the rat runs up the ladder and presses a lever and an applause sign comes down. And are these multiple rats or is this one rat who has been trained in all these different things? (laughs) Uh, I use multiple rats. Rats have a very depressingly short lifespan. So you get about two to three years with a rat. It usually takes about nine months for me to get any given rat to do every trick in the show. And for the most part, I train every rat to do every trick. And then whatever the rat is just naturally most inclined to do, I have them do in the show. So I'll take about nine months to get the rat doing everything. And then I'll have a standout rat who's really good at the obstacle course. So that's the obstacle course rat. If I have a rat that loves jumping through fire, that's what that rat does. Or some of the rats love being on the rope. And some of them are just adorable and, like, maybe turn in a circle and get treats because they can't all be geniuses. (laughs) How many rats do you currently have trained? I have have five rats right now. Um, I've got my two what I call rock star rats, rats that are fully trained and still in the prime. So right now that's Influenza and Rubella, and Influenza was the one who was on the gong show. And if you see that clip, she runs through that obstacle course. Uh, my two oldest are Bubanik and Mursa. And Bubanik is pretty much completely retired now. So when we're practicing, I'll still have her do some of the tricks just for her own exercise. But she does them all really slowly. And as soon as the rat seems to have like what they call the hind end generation, so they kind of get arthritis in their hips. And as soon as the rat has something like that, then I'm not going to make them do uh, anything physical in front of an audience. But I do try to keep them moving just so that they can get that exercise. Bubani is retired, and Sister Ursa, who is a roommate, actually is aging really well. Normally, by now, I wouldn't have a rat still doing a lot of the tricks she does, but she'll just run across the slack rope still. So we've got her performing. 
And then my youngest rat, who I haven't really trained yet, is named Zika. And she was from a lab in New Jersey. Before we get much further, you mentioned the gong show, which I definitely want to talk about. But I also said um, mm-hmm. earlier that this is the sort of thing where it might help just to visualize, to pause it and go look at a video. Um, is that gong show performance perhaps a good example of a video um, that might be a good representation of what we're talking about here? Uh, oh, the rat video is. And uh, the cat, the clip of me with the cat on the gong show is a great representation of when it all goes wrong. All right. So <laughs> let's get to that. Um, so if you're interested in seeing this as we discuss it, you should Google um, Cirque du Sur gong show. Some combination of those words will, I'm sure, bring you to the clip. I do have uh, Cirque du Sur. Is, we have a YouTube channel and my Facebook page, so you can also see some of our clips on there. Perfect. And I have a lot of like behind-the-scenes training of the cats if you wanna, and rats if you want to check that out. Um, what entered your life first? The circus stuff, the acrobatics, or the pets? Oh, um, hmm. you know, it was a little bit simultaneous. I had pet rats before I trained them, and I was doing a lot of, like, stilt walking and contact juggling, and I wanted a way to basically have an excuse to always have my animals with me. So on the road, they say everyone has to work, and I just started training them up to do a few tricks, and it really grew from there. But but even before that, you were on the road as a circus performer. Is that correct? Uh, I actually started out, I did a, a lot of um, acting. So I did a number of tours. This was before I had rats. But when I, I did like mostly just the school tours where you perform in the gym, a cafetorium um, and some like summer stock here and there. And then I got really, really into circus skills after I had to learn how to juggle for a show. And once I learned how to juggle, I learned how to unicycle and how to walk on stilts. And I just found I was much more interested in writing my own weird shows, showcasing my weird skills. How did you start to develop those weird skills? Because um, circus performance, kind of a unique career, even before you start incorporating animals into it. (laughs) Uh, Well, like I said, I have a theater background. I took many, many years of dance and ballet. So to go from dancing on point to dancing on stilts was an easier transition. And uh, once you sort of learn juggling and stilt walking, it's like the circus gateway drug. You just start getting into what other skills can I teach myself? So how did you learn stilt walking? Like what's the first time you touched a pair of stilts and actually got up on them? Uh, Well, I had a wacky friend who walked on stilts and I said, I think I could do that. And he said, I think you could do that too. So we went to a parking lot on a little two-foot pair of stilts, and he kind of let me use his arm until I was comfortable with it. Um, And then from there, I got hired at Busch Gardens Williamsburg, the theme park, to walk on stilts. And as I had a two-week rehearsal period where I told them I could already walk on stilts, but I had to prove to them that I could do a number of skills like a turning in a circle or to kind of run really fast and then stop on a dime just in case there was a kid in front of me. <laughs> yeah. How was that experience working as a stilt walker at Bush Gardens? Um, <laughs> it was hot. <laughs> it was, it was the middle of the summer. It was 95 degrees and I was in a polyester jacket. And my main memory of it was that it was awfully hot. Um, I, I, I love working at the Renaissance fairs like I do because you get a lot of kind of permission just to write your own material and to be as weird as you want to be. And with Bush Gardens, because they're a corporation and they have this 
specific image, every joke you make has to more or less be approved by a committee. So that was a little, it was a little different to work that way, but I'm really, really glad I had the experience. Was that the first time that you had sort of paid circus experience? I think I just heard a cat meowing in the background, which is terrific. <laughs> oh, yeah, the, my, my new kitten in training, Shodi, is very vocal all of the time. That's totally okay. Um, well, at that point, I, I had done some gigs uh, doing talk about juggling and contact juggling. And uh, I can't remember if I didn't walk about with stilts before then, but that was around the time where I was doing it a lot. And after you finished working at Bush Gardens, were you, I mean, was that it for you? You were like, I'm going to be doing circus stuff. This is, this is for me. Um, well, okay. So my big moment at Bush Gardens, um, I remember one of the rules was there was this like train that went around the park and every time the train went by, you had to like smile and wave at it. That was like a big rule of the park. And the train kind of went through a backstage area and it was just this long day and it was like 95 degrees and I had just gotten off of stilt walking and I was so tired and sweaty and hot and I was trying to get to my car and the train came by and I thought, oh, I just, I don't have it in me to smile and wave right now. I just can't do it. And I looked around and there was this like bush just like about knee height. And I'm like, perfect. So I kind of jumped to the side to hide behind the bush. Cause I didn't feel like waving. And there was somebody else already hiding there. Yeah. <laughs> we both looked at each other like, I just I can't do it today. But I had this moment of like, I need to be around fellow weirdos. I think at the Renaissance fair circuit, that those were kind of my people. And my next gig after that was doing stilt walking at a Renaissance fair. And I think that, kind of cemented that that's my favorite venue to perform at. So were you into Renaissance fairs before that, or did that just seem like a good place where you could develop your own act your way? Uh, well, my first kind of acting job between junior and senior year of college was at the New York Renaissance Fair, where I was part of the like street cast, doing lots of improv and creating characters. And I had a wonderful time there. And that was when I first realized that writing a 25 to 45 minute variety show with skills was something you could do for a living. So that, that was definitely a big inspiration for me. And I didn't think it was what I was going to do with the rest of my life. I was going to go off and be an actor, but I kind of came around full circle to knowing that that's what I wanted to do. Were there other acts you saw that um, were kind of based around a single skill and were fun at the Renaissance fair that inspired you and made you think, Oh, you know what? This is cool. And I can do it. Oh, I, I wouldn't say there was like a single specific one. Uh, the, the, so the New York Fair at that time, there was the Danny Lord silent comedy show. There was uh, Dexter Tripp, who also is a rope walker. Um, there was Stuart and Arnold's knife throwing. They've been on this podcast, Stuart and Arnold. I'm oh, pleased no to way. say. Yeah, awesome. yeah, Stuart and Arnold about a year or two ago. Oh, wow. Yeah, that was one of the first Renaissance Fair acts that I was aware of. And I mean, just the idea that you could spend your life learning this very odd and very specific skill and then go ahead and present it on a stage. I thought that was incredibly cool. Now help me understand, cause I've been to Renaissance fairs and I think they're great, but like 
did they have stilts in Renaissance times? Like, what makes... I agree they do fit in, but what makes stilts fit into the Renaissance fair? <laughs> I, I mean, I guess the same thing that makes fairy wings and turkey legs fit into the Renaissance fair. It's cool and people like it. Um, I, You know, someone could probably tell you the history of stilt walking and maybe even a reason why they might be at Renaissance fairs, but I have not done that historical research. Did you ever consider clown college or sort of the clowning angle? Oh, well, I, I did study at the Clown Conservatory in San Francisco. Mm-hmm. What did you learn there? And actually, that was where I really got my start with slack rope. Mm-hmm. And I took acrobatics and I took clowning. I wound up uh, about halfway through the program being totally broke and booking Cirque du Sewer at several Renaissance fairs. So I wound up leaving the program early, which means I can tell people I'm a clown school dropout, which I think is an odd little distinction. How seriously do the students take clown school? I mean, very seriously. Right? I mean, just because the word clown is in the title doesn't mean it's not very serious. They're serious about clowning. Are there, like, lectures in clown school, or is it all, like, I'm imagining you're out in a field and everyone's got, I don't know, some juggling balls or something? Uh, Well, I mean, substitute field for a kind of cold uh, studio in San Francisco. But, uh, I mean, clowning is just a very physical way of performing. So it was a lot of acrobatics classes. Uh, There was ballet, nine in the morning. There were circus skills and juggling. And then in addition to that, after like the morning of all the physical skills, we would have a couple hours of doing like acting. Oh, and mime, of course. Mime is a big part of that. Do you have to wear the makeup in clown school? (laughs) No. We have like one workshop where we do the makeup, but if you showed up in clown face to clown school, you, you'd be the weirdo, really. <laughs> you, to be the weirdo in clown school is probably difficult. Uh, y- you know, I, I no one is popping out as the weirdo, so I hope it wasn't me. <laughs> Did you ever consider something like Ringling Brothers, which recently shut down, but presumably at the time still existed? Um, I mean, yeah, it, I, I, w- I would have done that. Um, I, they, I know they had a clown school for a while, which I, when I was like 16, I applied to and I did not get in. You applied to and 16 clown worked, schools? There are 16 clown schools? What? No, no. When I was 16, oh, I, like, they I still understand. had the Ringling Clown College and I was like 16, 17 and I applied and didn't get in and... I mean, if they had asked me to, I would have done it then, and at no point did it ever, like, come up as a possibility. But 16 and 17 is, like, pretty young um, to to sort of think about not running away and joining the circus, but I want to use the phrase anyway. So you, like, kind of had it in your head pretty young that this was something you were interested in. Is that right? um, Well, at that point, I was interested in theater and performance, and I thought that would make me a more well-rounded physical actor. Is that... So, So it's like... For the same reason I took ballet, knowing that I was never going to be a professional ballerina. I mean, I definitely knew teenagers when I was a teenager, and I think lots of teenagers are interested in theater and, of course, want to become actors and that sort of thing. But I think very few make the leap to, you know, clown school will help me put some tools in my toolbox that will help me be an actor. I don't doubt it. I'm sure it's true, but, like, is that something Mm -hmm. theater kids often think? 
Um, I mean, I, I, I thought it, and I was a theater kid. Did your parents um, question it at all? Oh, I was a tremendous disappointment to my mother for many years. <laughs> She's come around, but uh, yeah, I, I think she she didn't. She was hoping I would just become a legal secretary or something. This wasn't what she was hoping for. You know, I don't want to dig up too much of the painful past, but I think oh, this is oh, it's not a. It's um, all good. <laughs> yeah, it's not like if people aren't going to clown school. I think the idea of like you want to do something different than what your parents want you to do. Almost everyone can relate mm-hmm. to that. So, how did you yeah. deal with that? Um, I just did it. <laughs> uh, I mean, my 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 mother was actually like, well, my my father thought it was really cool that I was a performer and um, I mean, he's, he's Alzheimer's now. So, you know, he can't really articulate, but kind of some of my last moments of interacting with him when he was lucid was his, him coming to my show and he just laughed the whole time. And, you know, because he was beginning to have Alzheimer's, he laughed at the same jokes at every single show. It was all new for him every time. <laughs> And I know that he wanted to be an artist, and instead he worked for the telephone company, and I'm sure that was something of a regret. So I know that he was proud that I went and pursued my dreams. And my mom, who's the realist, was just worried about me for a really long time, but I've gotten to the age I am now, and I haven't died yet, so she's kind of mellowed out about the whole thing. Yeah, what was the point when um, your mom was like, all right, you know what, this is your thing, and you're into it, God bless you? <laughs> Um, well, she's never articulated that. Uh, she, you know, she's always said, oh, I'm, I'm proud of you. But, you know, you could, you could tell she was uh, just really worried. And it's, it does make sense because performing is, you know, it isn't the most stable of careers. But uh, she, she hasn't called me up worrying about me in a while. So I think she's finally kind of accepted it. And she actually admitted that she likes the show. So that was nice. How long ago, just how, at what point did you start incorporating the animals? And you explained sort of the origins of that, but I'm not sure how long you've been doing it. Uh, So I started working with the rats, like, kind of 2008, 2009. And let me ask you, some people would say, some people think um, rats are kind of gross. You know, people think Mm -hmm. rats are gross. Uh, how, I don't think so. I've known rats as pets. I think they're great pets. But for those that haven't had the opportunity to meet a very friendly rat, uh, what what to you, uh, why are rats good pets? Why, why do you enjoy them in the first place? Oh, they are incredibly intelligent. Um, I'm My first rat that I fell in love with, I was uh, in school. I took psychology with lab. And I fell in love with my lab rat. Like every time I came into the lab and I opened the door, like in his cage, he would start jumping up and down because he knew it was me. And I would like come early to class so I could cuddle and love up on the rat. And I just, I was so amazed at this tiny little animal who is like a little dog, really just so sweet. When did you start incorporating cats into the act? Because from what I can now, cats I don't know as well, but from what I can gather from cartoons, cats and rats do not get along. <laughs> um, well, rats are bigger than mice, so I, I got my first cat, Pad Meow, when he was pretty young, and he was about the same size as the rats. And my rat, Candida, uh, she loved the cat, 
so she would chase him all over trying to like cuddle up to him and he was never really interested in that so he was like terrified of the rat and he would just run away all the time and to this day when the rats are loose he kind of you know he doesn't exactly run away in fear he just casually saunters away and and hides from them and at the two kittens i have now uh they're they've had a little bit of bonding time with the rats i mean i always make sure while i'm watching them while the rats are out i'm always watching them because i don't want anything like i don't trust them to just be on their own for hours in the house when i'm not watching but i haven't really had any incidents sometimes the cats will kind of bat at the tails a little bit because the tails look like string and usually as soon as the rat turns around and gets their face in the cat's face they freak out and back off do you have any trouble like bringing in new rats just because the old rats have difficulty socializing with them or kind of accepting them as part of the pack, I guess? Um, you know, I it's they're they're pack animals, so there is a transition period and they have to figure out like which one is going to be the alpha rat. So I always have like separate cages at first, but they can see each other and smell each other. And before I try to incorporate them all in one enclosure, I'll have training time where the new rats are on a platform and they watch the older rats train. And then I'll train with the newer rats. And then I'll let all of the rats kind of run around on the training equipment because that's like neutral territory. And then I'll have maybe for an hour every night, all of the rats running around on the couch while they supervise. And when I haven't had any like incidents or fights or they don't they seem like they've kind of chilled out then i incorporate all the rats together in one enclosure uh the only time i ever had difficulty was with my rat mersa who was a really mean alpha rat and she was just too aggressively fighting the new rats but now that she's older she's mellowed out a bit so we finally just got everyone to get along about uh four months ago and now they all sleep in a hammock together and it's really sweet now you um perform at renaissance fairs which i assume means a lot of tra- you're traveling with these animals all the time right yes you're traveling with these animals right now can you give me some idea i'm sort of cheating here because you mentioned you were having trailer issues right before we were on the call so you're mm-hmm. you're can you but can you give me some idea of what your setup is like where all these animals live and just like what it's like traveling with them oh sure well we all live together um i have a 24 foot trailer with a slide out and um I took the dinette out of it, so where there used to be that uh, table and benches is just a big empty space, and that's where the rat enclosure is. So they have like a great big cage, and then I try to take them out as much as possible to just run around. And they, we have three cats, and there's a, a litter box next to the rat cage, so they've got a sizable amount of real estate. And when it's time to travel, I've got little travel cages for the rats in my van. And then I have crates for the cats. And when I want to travel, I'll put a little bit of food in each of the cat crates so that now they'll just run right into their crates and eat a little food and curl up on the cushion and go to sleep while I drive. How much time are you spending training and, I guess, rehearsing with the animals on like a daily basis, a weekly basis? I'm not sure. How However you think about it. Well, um, I train pretty much every day, both myself and the animals. So on a normal day, I do about a half hour dance, ballet, bar, warm up. I'll do an hour of stretching, um, an hour of rope walking, 
And if it's uh, like an upper body day, I'll also do an extra hour of like pull-ups and handstands and ab workout. And then I'll take a pause, have some dinner or rather some lunch. And then I bring all the animals out. And then there's another hour or two of running all of the animals through their paces. So that's interesting. You, you know, uh, like Stuart and Arnold, they just have to train themselves and work on the knife throwing thing. But you, you're also responsible mm-hmm. for this whole uh, litter of animals and making sure they're ready for showtime too. Yeah, it's it's a ridiculous amount of work. I didn't really think it through before <laughs> I started doing it. I mean, that's the great thing about the cats is I can just maintenance train them. So if I, I right now, Pai Kimiao has his, I guess, how many, beha- I don't know how many behaviors, 15 or so behaviors that he does in the show. And I can just take him to the stage, run him through everything he does in the show one time and give him a treat and some food. And that maintains it with the rats. I've got five rats and I'm always training up a pair to take over because they have that short lifespan. And then there's training me. I'm not getting any younger. So if I still want to keep doing those splits, I kind of got to Make sure I'm practicing that every single day. Is there a part of your day, like, is training the animals more fun than training yourself? Um, It depends on where they're at and where I'm at. If I'm having a really flexible day, I'll be like, whoa, look, this is great. And, and, you know, if the rats are being stubborn, then that's less fun. Or, like, when I, I have a breakthrough with an animal and they suddenly get a trick I've been trying to teach them for a while, then that's that's like a really exciting moment. But there isn't like one thing all day I look forward to more than anything else. Do you remember like the first show where you brought the rats out and incorporated them into the act? And how did how do you feel like that went? Did the audience respond well? Um, well, I started out, I was doing like kind of rent fair street shows. And um, I brought the rat out because I figured that would gather a crowd better. And it sure did. Because if I just stand there saying, hey, I'm kind of interesting, come look at me, no one's going to. But if I just stand there with a rat, everyone's like, oh, look, he's so cute. Oh. So that that was when I knew I was onto something. Uh, but I, I do remember the first time I ever brought one of the, when I brought Pad Kinyao when he was a kitten on stage. I remember that very much because I had some friends who were backstage and they knew I was going to bring the cat on for the first time. So they were listening for the audience reaction. And the cat came on stage, and I, they told me later, we were backstage when you brought that cat out, and we just heard an entire audience collectively lose their shit. Are cats harder to train than rats are? I would think so, right? Uh, yes. Well, Cats are I'm, smarter, but they do whatever they want, right? Yeah, uh, training them to do a new behavior is about as difficult as training a rat to do a new behavior. Like, they can learn very quick. But getting them to consistently do it every time on stage is a whole other thing. Uh, so, like, the rats, then you can see this if you ever see one of my shows. The rats will generally do all of their tricks immediately and very quickly. And the cat will walk on stage, do a behavior, take a pause, stare at the audience, scratch themselves, do the next behavior, yawn, do another behavior. So it's just like a different pace they're a lot more easily distracted and they like to make it look like it's their idea have you ever thought about other animals maybe a dog in the act or something like that Uh, originally i thought it would be really neat to have rats cats and a dog but 
as my trailer is getting more and more <laughs> cramped and fragrant. Sort of a practical I, issue. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, I, I also like getting a chance to do some of my own uh, tricks in the show as well. So I think I'm going to keep it with just cats, rats, and me for now. Do you do jokes in the show? Is there... uh, I think I do. Yeah, 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 yeah. The show's funny too. Like, I mean, so that's, yeah, that's, is that, that's like another thing. Like, I mean, if you were just telling jokes on stage, like that's already difficult and hard and like a skill. Um, is that something mm-hmm. you had to develop? Uh, well, before I, I wrote this show, I was an actor for a while and I did improv. I've never done stand up, but I mean, I, I think I'm awfully funny, although it, it's sort of cheating because I have animals there, so they're going to like me anyway. <laughs> or they're going to like the animals, at least. Um, but, I mean, I do... I do. I, I mean, it is a skill, and I like to think that over the years of being in front of crowds, I've gotten good at it. I mean, I think a lot of people are nervous about telling jokes in front of a crowd, but it sounds like it is not a thing to you at all, and you don't mind. I, I, I'm I'm good at talking, I guess. <laughs> Look at me now. We, I just haven't shut up this whole time. Well, that no, that's kind of the idea here. I keep a- that's why I keep asking you questions. That's that's allowed. Oh, good. <laughs> um, do you most of your performances? It sounds like most of what we're talking about here is Renaissance fairs. Is, is that correct? Uh, yeah. Right now it is. This year, I, uh, yeah, this year, other than our two appearances on the Gong Show, it's pretty much all I've done. Uh. But I've done like a couple like burlesques here and there, or like cabaret style shows. Where do you? Um, where's your home base if you even have one? For the past five or six years, I've been wintering in Key West, which is awesome. And so from like February till November ish, I'm on the road. All different Renaissance fairs. Oh, so, so this past year. We were at the Arizona show in February, March. We were at Scarborough Fair in Texas. We have some one-weekenders in June. We were in Bristol, Wisconsin. We were in Tuxedo, New York, and we just finished out in Ohio. Oh, Tuxedo is the one I have been to. Uh, that's that's the New York one, right? Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you should you should come back and and check out our show next I, year. I will absolutely do that. I will. What I'm. Definitely going to go to it again at some point, and when I am there, I assure you, I will come see your show. But once you are uh, into the, once you're in, is it hard to get booked on those, or is it like sort of like once you're in that community, you kind of meet the people, and they see you can perform, and they see you can draw a crowd, and then that's it? Um, I mean, I, I guess I can't really compare it to much, because it's been the main thing I've been booking with this specific show. I did feel like it took a, a few years for me to kind of start getting booked more. Like we just had a really good year in terms of booking. Um, but I had a couple of fairs when I was first starting out. Like I had just, I started at the Scarborough fair was my first one. So for a year I kind of did stuff on the street and gathered a crowd and I wound up, I've developed an act where I couldn't possibly do it on the street now. Cause there's so many props and the rope walking and all of the animals but I've had a couple of shows where I started off on a smaller stage and then I showed that I could gather a crowd and now I'm pretty much performing on big stages. 
but also the size of my rig has kind of ensured that I can only perform on big stages right. right now. Did you build all of this stuff? Because if you go look at that gong show clip, you've got a pretty nice elaborate little rat maze there with and like that little banner oh, at the you. end. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, everything I've built, all of the props, I make all of the costumes, I paint all of the banners. Uh, the one thing I haven't done is uh, any of like the welded stuff. So someone else welded the fire hoop that the rats jumped through and someone else fabricated the A-frames for my rope walking and those are sleeved aluminum so they come apart and I can fly with them. Yeah, I imagine like, uh, you know, some of that, some of it's like, you know, you're you're trusting your safety to some of this equipment so um, you gotta yeah, make sure I, it's... <laughs> I trust myself to engineer something that will hold the weight of a rat but myself not so much. Right, right, right. Okay, uh, I'm ready now. I gotta talk about these gong show appearances. First, if you'll allow me a moment to rant, I love the gong show. The new reboot of the gong show on ABC was like my favorite TV show of the summer. I did not miss an episode. Uh, This is a reboot of a 70s TV show. They brought it back a few times. Um, It's sort of a variety show um, with very unusual acts like yourself and um, celebrity judges. Um, it's very lighthearted. Um, the judges grade you, but like, there's no Simon Cowell who is like, that is miserable. Like, it's all in good fun, and it's all, at least uh, my perception of it is, it's, it's in good fun, it's very positive, even when people get bad grades, like it's, you know, it's part of the fun. And um, also, I should mention, just as I'm painting a picture of the Gong Show reboot, uh, that it's hosted by Mike Myers in Heavy Prosthetics, playing a character named Tommy Maitland, who is a fictional game show host from England, I guess. It's so weird, but it all comes together, and it's really fun. Um, And if you like my podcast, I suspect you might like this show, too. Um, So that is the new gong show. You were actually on it twice, which is pretty unusual. I don't know that I noticed anyone else being on that show twice. I guess, how did you get on it the first time? Oh, well... The, we kind of booked both of both the appearances at once. Um, I think I I saw like an ad for it somewhere, so I just kind of like shot them my website and info, and they wound up getting back to me really quickly. And we scheduled a like Skype interview. Ah, the old Skype on the phone. Yeah, yeah. So so I, we skyped with like me and I had like a rat on each shoulder and the cat kind of hanging out. And my assistant in the background with his guitar, and we had a whole interview that way. And they weren't sure if they wanted to do the cat or the rat. So when they flew us out, they had me bring everything. So I brought the rat and that whole obstacle course and the cat. How do you fly with a rat? Oh, that's <laughs> that, That's a whole process as well. It's doable. It's kind of a pain in the butt. No one will let you bring a rat into a cabin um, what happened was, I think in like 2005, some woman had her pet rat on a plane and she opened the cage and it got out and the, ca- the whole plane was grounded for like three days while they tried to find the rat and oh had to do God. like a million dollars worth of diagnostics to make sure the rat didn't chew through anything. So it's, it's kind of impossible to fly with a rat in cabin, but you can go through, um, I always use the pet safe program, which is, I think United, but they, they have like a pressurized, temperature-controlled cabin, and they fly a lot of animals through there. So like when they're shipping out lab animals, they do that. And I, you have to like 
kind of go to the special uh, cargo area that's nowhere near the main airport. And it pretty much every airport, they're hard to find. So you just drive around in circles. <laughs> but they, I've, I've had really good luck with shipping my animals that way. So I'll always ship the rats on whatever flight I'm on. So I get there super early, drop off the rats. Then I check, go through like the check-in with the cat. And then to get to the, the destination, I have to go and find wherever the cargo area is at that airport and pick the rats back up. So that was what we did with the gong show. Uh, it was me, the rats, the cat, and my assistant all flew out. And they had us do a rehearsal the first day. And they rehearsed. we rehearsed both of the bits, the cat bit and the rat bit, because they didn't know which one they wanted yet. So they wanted to see them both in the space. And they decided to go with the cat because when we rehearsed it, the cat did every trick in the ballet perfectly. And everyone was so impressed. And they were like, we have to air this. No one's ever seen a trained cat. It's going to be amazing. And then when it finally came time to do it and the band stroke up, the band was really loud. It was like like a horn section and yeah, some drums. Great, great band. I love that band. <laughs> oh, it's a great band. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> That's a fun part of the show too. But, but you can imagine, like, um, if you even if you've been on any TV set, even without a band, the lights, the audience, you know, mm-hmm. it's like a very unusual setup. I imagine it could even throw a human, much less a cat who has no idea what's going on. You know. <laughs> well, I thought it would be fine because we've done theatrical shows before. We've done like burlesques with stage lights, and I've usually found that he does really well with the stage lights because he doesn't like seeing the audience. So I figured it like. He's he's done great in theaters before. I thought it was going to be fantastic, but then the band struck up, and the cat freaked out. Like I was holding him, and the band struck up, and like every claw dug into my flesh, so that the makeup people had to like cover all the blood spots for the next shot. (laughs) But if you watch the footage, you can see the cat doesn't do a single thing. Yeah, the cat is not very cooperative. Does that happen often outside of TV? I mean, this is a sort of special circumstances, but does that happen often outside of TV? Never to that extent. Though, I mean, he's a cat, so like he does, he has his moments. Like once or twice, he's ran off the stage if he does, if something like freaks him out. But for the most part, he's a rock star. Like he's been doing this, you know, pretty much his whole life, and he's usually actually excited to go on stage like he knows his cue and my assistant is backstage and he has like a harness with a leash so my assistant unhooks the leash and he runs on stage for his cue and i'm told that he's like straining at the end of his leash to run on stage when it's time to perform but he's still a cat so every now and then (laughs) he just gets a little bit of a toot now you are not a cat you are a human um, and you, thanks you, for noticing this must you, you must I mean I can't even imagine what's going through your head like you're on the you're on TV um, there's like famous people on stage Will Arnett was one of the judges um, Chelsea Handler I forget who the other one was and um, do you remember who it was oh, um, oh Courtney Cox Courtney Cox I just watched this right yeah well Courtney Cox was the one we had the rat, rat. okay so it was I, I and someone forget fam- it's it's like these are like you know real celebrities and there's a huge audience uh-huh. you're on TV like and the cat is just not cooperating. What's going through your human brain? Um, um I guess mostly oh crap, oh crap, oh crap was what was going through my brain. Um you know, it's like 
all I want, I was thinking, you know, okay, if the cat just does a single trick, just one trick, and I'm thinking, like, what are the things he'll always do no matter what? Like, he'll always give me a high five. Even if, like, even if he doesn't want to do any other trick, he'll give me a high five. So I try to get him to give me a high five. And he doesn't give me a high five. And then I'm like, okay, well, he'll always, you know, jump on my knee to get a turkey. So have him jump on my knee. And he runs off the stage. So <laughs> very much a cluster. Um, I, I was just trying to get through it at that point. Well, the reason I ask is because um, you don't seem to be panicking at all. Like after the act, um, after everyone's act, they have a little back and forth with the judges. And um, you seem like you're in pretty good spirits considering um, what happened. Is, is that Was that hard to, you know, keep a smile on? Um, I mean, it was fine because, you know, I'm, I'm a performer, so you, you have your performance face and you don't get phased. When you, there's like a different headspace you go into when you're performing in front of a live audience. So for like, for then I was fine, but you know, when I went back to the hotel room, I might've cried a little bit, you know, just a little, <laughs> I mean, it's, it's very irritating when you perform as often as we do. And I can depend on this cat to like 300 times a year, do this routine. And then the one time when we're in front of what is basically the largest audience that will ever see my show at once, the cat, you know, freaks out. But what can you do? He's a cat. Yeah. I would say that is unfortunate. I regret that, that it, it went down that way. But um, to give you a compliment, like, I think that is, I mean, I think you've put together a very unique act. It's very cool. Um, you're very talented. But the fact that you were able to maintain your composure and stay positive, and like I said, like, everything on the gong show is positive and fun, even when things aren't going well. Um, to me, that's almost one of the most impressive things at all. And that really speaks to your um, capacity as a performer and your, your um I don't know, your, uh, the way you think about it, I guess, the way you approach it. Oh, well, thank you. I mean, I, I've been told by people that have seen my show more than once that it's even better when the animals don't do what they're supposed <laughs> to do. Though ideally you want to see it just a little bit. So, but you did get a shot at redemption then. Were they like, you know what, come back on with the rats? Is that what happened? Yeah, well, they, they asked if I could come back again because they, they had difficulty deciding between the cat and the rats. So once the the cat totally failed to perform i was very much wanting to be able to come back on with the rats because i was pretty darn certain that the rat was not going to fail me and they didn't you can go as we mentioned earlier go look this clip up online the rats did not fail you it's a great act it's really fun um that's actually where i first i saw that one first and i was like oh we got to get this person on the podcast look at this act this is incredible um so was that like particularly exciting because you know it worked Oh, oh yeah, yeah. Like uh, afterwards, we were like doing a little victory dance, like right behind the curtain. Like, yay, the rat of redemption! And you, you mentioned this before. Was that your assistant playing guitar? Mm-hmm. What was... his official title is Rat's Assistant. He has a little badge, but I don't think they got a close up on it. Does he? Um, why? Like that sort. Of, what, what made you decide like live guitar should be a part of the performance um, instead of I don't know just a CD track or something? I mean, I I'm always in favor of live music as opposed to a track whenever it's possible. Uh, I originally hired Vitaly as like just an assistant because by the time I had rats and cats it got to be a little much for me just to handle. Um, but doing shows at fairs, like I have to put up my rope for every show and I have to put the set together for every show. And then I've got like 
cats backstage and rats running around. So I brought him on the road for that. But I knew he played guitar, and I, that was when I was developing the ballet number with the cat. And I asked if he would play a song for that, so he learned the Blue Danube. And that became part of the show. And then we uh, incorporated him on guitar for the rat routine, where he plays Ride of the Valkyries. So he, his official title is still Rat's Assistant, but he's also the accompanist. It does give it, um, even in the gong show, it sort of has like a show-busy vibe, maybe. It sort of mm-hmm. gives it a um, uh, a Renaissance Fair feel, right? Hmm. Well, I mean, it, it is a lot more of a Renaissance Fair feel than if it was piped in music, yeah. Right, right, right. Um, what did what was the reaction from the judges like? Did the judges, do you feel like they appreciated the act? Um, well, uh, when I did the bit with the rat and I have the reveal where I take my top hat off and the rat is there, I definitely heard one of the judges say, oh no, oh no. So I think somebody was about to gong me because they were just like, oh God, what what is going to happen? There was a rat. And you know, they, they've also seen like, uh, cockroaches go in girls' mouths. So I, I would assume that any guest judge would assume the worst when a, a live rat yeah. pops out on stage one the, there. One of the very first acts I saw on this new reboot of The Gong Show, um, and it's in like the very first episode, I think it's like the second act, is this woman comes out and she has a tarantula and she puts the tarantula in her mouth and then plays Mary Had a Little Lamb on the harmonica with the tarantula in her mouth. And I was like, I love this show. I got to watch every single episode. This is the greatest TV show I've ever seen. So there are like, there is a history of animals and sort of weirdness on that show. But once you were done with the act did you, and they saw um, that you were actually, um, you know, an acrobat and that these animals were trained, do you feel like that they got that? Um, I, I thought that the judges were really, really nice to us, particularly with the cat. Um, cause we got, I think we, we got one perfect score with the cat even, mm-hmm. which was amazing to me because I knew that it had gone not at all as it was supposed to go. Uh, and I, I do think that, uh, it was just the nature of the gong show itself. Like they're just really in good fun. Like, I don't think if I had gone on America's Got Talent, they would have been anywhere near as nice to me. <laughs> no, no. I mean, that's, but that's sort of the fun of the show, I think. is like, To me, the fun of the show is like it celebrates uh, interesting and unusual people and acts such as yours, right? Yeah, which is, which is what I am and which is why I've, I would never, I, I've been turning down America's Got Talent for a while now because they don't really seem like they're celebrating the weirdness and the unusualness of the acts. But uh, the gong show very much did. This is an element of the show that is extremely difficult to explain for those that haven't seen it. I tried briefly um, when I mentioned that Mike Myers hosts the show mm-hmm. as another character uh, named Tommy Maitland. Did you interact with Tommy at all besides what we saw on camera? Um, he, all of the, the celebrity judges had like a separate green room where they didn't have to be the re- near... Uh, <laughs> all of the rest of us. So we didn't really have much interaction. Um, but pretty much everything you saw on camera was the interaction that we had. Right, right, right. Um, was that weird at all being uh, like on stage with all of these major celebrities? Like, does that throw you at all? Um, you know, I don't really watch television and I'm pretty pop culturally illiterate. So it wasn't like there was anyone on stage that I was a big fan of or I was intimidated by. Like the only creature 
in that theater that was intimidating me was my own damn cat. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, well, you saw how that panned out. <laughs> right, right, right. Um, so now you've got these gong show appearances on your belt. And now you're wintering? Are you like a school teacher? Do you get an off-season? Is that what's going on? Oh, pretty much. Um, I, I do like to train really hard when I have a bit of a break. So we'll have about three months where I can, you know, just spend all of my time working on the circus skills and then, you know, I've got new rats to train up. And I did just adopt two kittens. What are their names? Uh, Schrodinger and Sputnik. Oh, okay. So still keeping, not plagues, but still still scientifically themed. Yes. <laughs> well, I let my assistant named name Sputnik, and he named her Luna, but then we looked under the tail and realized it was a boy kitten, so he got renamed Sputnik. That happens sometimes. That happens. <laughs> do you have, uh, what, what are you looking at for 2018? Ren- more Renaissance fairs? Do you have any thoughts on, like, uh, new stuff you might do in the act? Oh, well, we've got the new kittens, so that's, that's my big thing is figuring out what they're going to do. And when I write the shows, I kind of have to go off of what are the animals doing and then like somewhat write from there. I've been thinking of trying to put together a herding cats routine, which is pretty ambitious, but <laughs> I, just, uh, you know, something cat owners listening might be wondering is just like, what is, what are the basics of training a cat to listen to a command? Like, is it like training a dog or is there just a whole other approach you got to take? I mean, it's like training a dog. Uh, they're just a lot more easily distracted. Um, but it's it's all operant conditioning. It's all positive reinforcement. I don't know if I just got lucky that I have three really food-motivated cats or if part of that is I've been hand-feeding them little bits of turkey as long as I've had them. So they definitely, when they see that turkey in my hand, they know that they can have that turkey as long as they do something silly like give me a high five. And they always seem to get very excited when it's training time. Um, that's, it, it's really an unusual and interesting and cool act you have put together. And I would encourage people uh, to go check it out online. How can they find your website? Oh, um, it's Cirque du Sewer. That's D-U, like Cirque du Soleil, only less Canadian. It's uh, Cirque du Sewer Show. Dot com. And we're also on Facebook and YouTube as Cirque du Sewer. And do you have any idea um, what Renaissance fairs you'll be at in 2018 yet? Uh, I know we have confirmed that we will be at the Arizona Renaissance Fair and the Scarborough Renaissance Fair. And we're going to do the last three weekends of the Ohio Renaissance Fair. And I don't have any contracts yet, but if it follows what we did last year, we'll be in South Dakota, at Mutton and Mead in Massachusetts, and at Bristol and Tuxedo. Well, I would encourage people uh, to go look it up online. Keep an eye out for the act. Uh, Melissa, very cool. Thank you so much for making some time to tell us all about it. Oh, fantastic. It was lovely speaking with you. That was a HeadGum Podcast. <laughs>